Welcome back to Everyman Academy. Now we will finish our analysis on Moby Dick. This is the fifth and final part of the Moby Dick analysis. In parts one through four, I broke down the elaborate, complex, and long plot of Moby Dick, the narrative used throughout, the twists and turns that happen along the way. Everything culminated in part four, where it all comes to a dramatic climax. The steadfast revenge mission ends in destruction with only one man, our narrator Ishmael, surviving. Now, let's break it all down. What does it all mean? I am confident that this analysis I'm going to get into is the correct meaning of Moby Dick. People can debate back and forth for ages, and I think that speaks to the complexity of the text, how rich it is in detail, and there are many themes, philosophical and otherwise. However, the story and the narrative is conveying a certain type of theology to us, the reader. Just to recap, in the beginning, Ishmael goes into a church and there's a preacher that gives a wonderful sermon that's very much a foreshadowing. Speaks against hypocrisy. A lot of lessons to be learned through Ahab's fate. It seemed like a straightforward moral of the story at first glance. In the chapter, the affidavit, he says, They might scout at Moby Dick as a monstrous fable, or still worse and more detestable, a hideous and intolerable allegory. That sounds a little bit like a jab at Pilgrim's Progress being the quintessential and influential allegorical story of Christian. You out there may be naive to the Pilgrim's Progress, as I was. However, I've come to learn just how influential this book was, and it continues even today. As I take a look at the stats, the meager numbers, Pilgrim's Progress by far is the most popular and downloaded episode. Hmm, interesting. The story continues to inspire and captivate today. Going into the biography of this man, Herman Melville, he has connections. Comes from a line of aristocratic revolutionaries. Nevertheless, he spent a lot of time as a whaler. That's why this journey feels so authentic. Herman Melville lived this life, and we can taste the salt in our mouths as he explains to us the history of whaling and what it is like going into the uncharted seas. Thinking about the journey of Ishmael and the things that he does, in passing he says he's a Christian in the beginning, but then after that stirring sermon justifies getting along with Queequeg and looks the other way at his idol worship. Through various philosophical musings and reflections, there's a lot more deification of the old gods, Jove, Zeus, that type of thing, the pagan gods. A couple of chapters that take place during the book that show Ishmael later in life covered in tattoos. This story of Ahab is a cautionary tale, how far he has gone in his hatred of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Ishmael is a follower of Christianity. So this idea was like a thorn in my side. I had to dig deeper. The book, when you first turn the pages, an interesting thing in token of my admiration for his genius, this book is inscribed to Nathaniel Hawthorne. In the Scarlet Letter analysis, I clearly outlined how Nathaniel Hawthorne is much more of a believer in a sort of pagan theology. If Melville dedicated his book to Hawthorne, he must share a similar belief, right? Maybe he wrote this book in reaction to the message of the Scarlet Letter. I needed to know more. 
Now, of course, the names of the characters, remembering the impact of the King James Bible, Melville was very well read, and we hear references to biblical stories throughout, especially to the Old Testament. I'm just going to go into the kind of the main characters here rather than dig deep in the biblical references. Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham. So Ishmael means God hears. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. Hmm, interesting. So Ishmael is a pretty wild guy. There's this duality. He'll be against people and people will be against him. It's kind of unclear what to make of this, but we know that he's been cast out by God. If you think about Moby Dick as the representation of God, well, Ahab throws everything he has at him and is destroyed. But is this immoral? Remembering Ishmael, he's a pagan philosopher, I started to think to myself, maybe Ahab is some sort of martyr. Maybe he's looked at with sympathy here. Hmm, he was humanized quite a bit toward the end there. And throughout the book, he's angry and spiteful, but there are glimpses of a human spirit within, ponderings and wanderings. The philosophical soliloquies that take place throughout the book serve to make his struggles with mortality, the mysteries of life, old age, the end of a legacy, pain, heartbreak, grief, all human, relatable, and real. We, the reader, understand these sad human concepts that Ahab all faces. Hmm, Ahab, sympathetic character. I had to dig more. And look what I found. The rabbit hole had to open again. Here we go. Herman Melville's letters to Nathaniel Hawthorne have been preserved and documented for all eyes to see, revealing the true nature of this book, the thought process of Melville laid bare in these letters. One in particular here, dated June 29th, 1851. The book's motto, the secret one, ego non baptismo te en nomine, but make out the rest yourself, Herman Melville. Meaning, I do not baptize you in the name of the Father, but instead in the name of the devil. Baptism in the name of the devil, the motto of the book, according to Herman Melville. In another letter written sometime in June 1851, the reason the mass of men fear God and at bottom dislike him is because they rather distrust his heart and fancy him all brain like a watch. You perceive I employ a capital initial in the pronoun referring to the deity. Don't you think there is a slight dash of flunkyism in that usage? The earliest letter here written in April kind of blows this whole thing apart. We incline to think that God cannot explain his own secrets and that he would like a little information upon certain points himself. We mortals astonish him as much as he us, but it is this being of the matter that lies the knot with which we choke ourselves as soon as you say, me, a God, a nature. So soon you jump off from your stool and hang from the beam. Yes, that word is the hangman. Take God out of the dictionary and you would have him in the street. Strange, cryptic. There's another piece of interesting writing left behind by Herman Melville, something called Fragments of a Lost Gnostic Poem of the 12th Century. Matter in end will never abate his ancient, brutal claim. Indolence is heaven's ally here, and energy the child of hell, the good man pouring from his pitcher clear, but brims the poisoned well. Fragments of a Lost Gnostic poem. Gnostic spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C. What does that word mean? 
This is something called Gnosticism. Let me refer to the Encyclopedia Britannica here. Gnosticism is a religious movement. The Greek means those who have gnosis or knowledge. It was first used by Plato to describe a cognitive or intellectual dimension of learning as opposed to the practical. By the second century, though, it was adopted by several Christian groups, some of which used it positively as a self-designation, though others criticized the practice as a presumptuous claim of exclusive access to the truth. Exclusive access to the truth. Only a small group of people have access to the truth in Gnosticism. Another encountered theme is that there is a special class or race of humans that is descended from the the transcendent realm and destined to return to its spiritual origins. Salvation is understood as a revelation that contains knowledge of the race's divine identity. And the theme of reawakened awareness of divine origins have parallels in Platonic and Neo-Pythagorean philosophy and in fact were partly derived from those traditions. It is often asserted that in these Gnostic myths there is a far sharper dualism involving a much more negative attitude toward the inferior creator god, the material cosmos, and the human body. Okay, it's getting kind of weird. An especially important Gnostic myth. The Apocryphon purports to be a secret revelation from Jesus that was received in a vision to the Apostle John. It conveys the true nature of the divine realm and its relationship to the material cosmos and humanity. The imperfect material realm is understood as a copy of the perfect spiritual realm. The myth also draws on the biblical theme of humanity as formed in the image of God, the creator of the visible realm and of the earthly Adam and Eve of the biblical Garden of Eden is a lesser being, a ruler. Now, Valentinian recognizes a demiurge that is produced by wisdom and is distinct from the true God. This demiurge is a subordinate God who fashions and arranges the physical world to make it conform to a rational and eternal ideal. Let me just check out this demiurge on Wikipedia here. This mythology goes back quite far, it seems. But Valentinius says the demiurge is simply ignorant or misguided. So in this kind of Gnostic belief system, this god from the Old Testament was evil, kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, basically a big jerk bully. And that's what we see in Moby Dick. Moby Dick in the world that's portrayed for us is dark, brutal, sad, and cold. It could only be the product of an angry, malevolent god. The god that Moby Dick represents, that Ahab and Herman Melville hates. All of these ideas are referenced in a romantic fashion throughout Moby Dick. It all links to Gnosticism. It's all very strange and weird. I encourage you, the listener, to check this all out. Read this book, this Gnostic theology, this inversion of Christianity. We've seen this in various forms. In the past couple books I've looked into and analyzed Jane Eyre, the opposite of the Pilgrim's Path, Nathaniel Hawthorne embracing more of a dualism, and here Herman Melville in this masterpiece gives us the whole meat of the story, the actual belief system behind it all, the Gnostic belief system that this God is evil. And as he wrote to Hawthorne, they have the gnosis or the knowledge. They know what's really gonna go down in his little tricky book out there fooling the masses. I don't know what to make of it all, but this journey to educate the mind and become in touch with historical truth in the 19th century is getting bizarre and weird. The fact that these hidden religions kind of exist, these hidden ancient traditions built upon secrecy, passing knowledge to a smaller group of people, only the few and privileged get to know the secrets, and the rest of us, well, we're the fools. Well, who's the fool now? We never were taught this in social studies class. Gnosticism is probably not that foreign of a topic for many. But for me, 
I'm just an everyman, and I'm here to embrace the Western canon and discover that life exists outside of the 21st century, that culture, tradition, religion, and philosophy, this human story, is much longer complex and well-recorded than we are led to believe that I was ever led to believe. We can access our critical thinking skills and ability to analyze the rich dialogue through the skill of reading and using logic, we can break down these works, learn to develop an opinion. Well, my opinion is that this is all very strange and weird. I'm far from fully understanding it, but look at Ahab. Look where his own hatred of God got him. Does that seem like a healthy way to process the mysteries of this world? The uncertainty that befalls us all when we die? Should we face that with anger and frustration, tattooing ourselves and heading about the world and idol worship and cannibalism? Or should we take the pilgrim's path, the narrow path, relinquish hate and embrace love of thy enemy? I didn't intend to create a podcast about religion, I'm becoming in touch with what I hold dear. My belief systems and my values much more grounded and certain. I can reflect upon a narrative of historical truth that as I continue this process of educating the mind, I can only hope that will deepen and expand. My opinion is that this book is a Gnostic story that never reflects upon the beauty and goodness of this life. All the wonderful creations of this so-called demiurge interestingly left out now this book has been written about before many many times this interpretation i believe is the correct one after careful study of this book if you disagree with me that's perfectly fine i only ask that you do so through a similar process of analysis read the book Every day, sit down just a little bit. We can read challenging books. You can access the skill of reading. You can become in touch with the historical truths in the world. Find what is true, good, and beautiful in the world. Put down the screens and, God forbid, delete all those crazy apps that are destroying your mind and pick up a book. The true, the good, the beautiful, all yours for the taking. If you just reach out and grab it, Moby Dick, it's a fantastic book. I loved reading it. I can reflect on it and think about so many amazing aspects of human history, both humorous, complex, and thought-provoking philosophical ideas. The beauty, the awe, the grandeur, and the wonder of the whale, what that meant to humanity, slowly gaining control over the environment, setting out into the seas, conquering nature, finding worlds lost and uncharted, doing the unthinkable, the industry of whaling, what that meant to the Western world all the way up to the 1800s, the city that lit the world, New Bedford, oil lamps, whale blubber, lighting the lamps across the world, soon to be replaced just a short 10 years later, the whaling industry gone, a new, a more effective method for creating light, much more practically obtained kerosene, pioneered by the one and only John Rockefeller himself. This time capsule, tells us the true culture of whaling, but whaling did not end because of animal activism. It ended because of sheer practicality in the evolution of industry. The whale was conquered. It is a privilege and an honor 
Follow me on Twitter for in-the-moment daily advice, musings, inspiration, motivation, tips on how to read the classics, build better habits, and reject the madness. My name is Professor JT. Until next time. Class dismissed.